Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace. We pray that your name would be glorified this day as we gather around thy word. Thy word, O Lord, draws us together as we sing in a hymn. And we pray it be the word of God, the Logos, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came into this world to give us the good news and then to lay down his life on the cross for our sins. Be with us and bless us this day. Be with those that could not make it. For the sick, the shut-in, the suffering. Uh, for those that are <clears throat> joining and participating through uh, MS Teams. Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with each and every one of us and make your presence known through your Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things now as we commend this service into your care and keeping in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the first epistle of John, chapter 2. And I just want to read uh, a few verses from 1 John, chapter 2. Starting to read... <clears throat> At verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I have read from verses 15 to 17, and may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Dear Father, in this morning hour, as we bow before Thee as a physical token of reverence and of respect for a holy, almighty God, dear Father, we pray that this would be a genuine action on the part of each one here. That each one that is now kneeling on his knees and bowing his head, dear Father, would in his heart be submitting unto the Lord, the God of the universe the unseen God, the one who we cannot see, that no man has ever seen at any time, and yet the one that has been declared, has been explained, has been shown in Christ Jesus. This is the one that we worship this morning hour. This is the one that we sing our praises to. This is the one that has penned these words, has, has written them, inspired the author to pen them, the, the, the disciple John, the one who leaned on thy breast. Dear Jesus, we thank thee so much that we know, we can see, we, we can see this love of the Father in thee. We can understand it. 
And now as we look around the, at the world around us, as the, the things we have been exposed to this week, the things that we have, that have come across our vision, that have maybe stirred our, our flesh, our, um, have pulled at our hearts, dear Father, we can see them clearly for what they are. They are passing away. The eternal Son, the life that is in Him, that is what we now look at, what we ought to be embracing continually every day and that is eternal life that is the way to eternity with thee to embrace that eternal life to love the father with everything that we have with all our life all our being all our body soul and spirit dear father we thank thee for this word that we've read these simple verses that have so much in them dear father inspire the brother to explain them to, to expound upon them and dear father inspire each one of us help us to have hearts that are thirsting and hungering after righteousness that are not content with the stuff of this life of the getting and the gaining and the building up of ourselves that is apart from thee that pride of life that would that is intoxicating but it is a lie it is a lie from the pit Dear Father, we thank Thee that this eternal life is declared and that we have the privilege to declare it, that we have the privilege to live it, dear Father, and to share it with others and to see others changed by it. We pray that that would happen today too, that Thy word would go out. It would be quick. It would be powerful. It would bring life. It would cut what is dead and what needs to, the cancerous parts of each one of us that needs to be cut out, to be left behind. Dear Father, on this good day of grace, we pray for thy word throughout all the world. We pray that it would spread, that there would be no corner where it is not uh, spoken, where it does not shine. Dear Father, we know that there are hearts that are desperately longing for that, hearts in darkness that are wondering, what is the purpose of life? Why are they here? And when that word of the gospel comes to them, dear Father, we pray that it would blossom in every corner of the globe until thou wilt come again. We pray for thy children, wherever they are, dear Father, uphold their hands, those that are struggling in, in great contests against the evil one, and each one of us, dear Father, have our struggle. Each one of us has our battle. Dear Father, strengthen those hands. Dear Father, we pray for those that are apathetic and those of thy children that are falling asleep, those that are turning back. Wake them up, dear Father through whether it be a, a strong shaking or a gentle calling, dear Father, in thy wisdom, do what is right and what is good and what is needful for their souls, dear Father. We pray for those that are sick. Our dear sister Olga Ordog, who is now in isolation, dear Father, who is waiting for her body to respond to this treatment and Dear Father, we know is, is waiting on thee too, spiritually, for that nourishment, even this day. Sustain her. Dear Father, we know each one of thy sheep is loved by the shepherd, the good shepherd of the soul, who knows exactly what is needed for each sheep. We, we pray that this sister and every other one that is going through physical illness and, and challenge and loneliness and old age, they would know that. They would know that their shepherd restores their soul their shepherd is the one who leads them and guides them and feeds them. And they would rejoice in that even today. Find that food that they need to go on. Dear Father, we pray for those that are uh, 
seeking thy word this day. Those that are struggling, that feel that they cannot make headway to come to thee, to make that step of, of, of faith and trust in thee, to be baptized and become thy child. Dear Father, help them to help them to realize that they, they are lost sheep. They also are, 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 can be part of thy, thy fold just simply by calling out for help, by calling to that good shepherd. Dear Father, help them to realize that and to call out even today and experience that rescuing of the good shepherd who lays them on his shoulder and returns rejoicing. Dear Father, now as we turn to thy word, we pray for a clear and uninterrupted time, a quiet time of meditation of each one of us. We pray that the tiredness of, of the flesh, the distractions of the mind would be put aside. We could see clearly the things, the issues of life for each one of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Good Shepherd. Amen. Dear ones, being at the uh, wedding yesterday in uh, Windsor, the brother mentioned something in his sermon regarding the relationship between the husband and the wife, and he talked about humility. He talked about humility, how that has to be a <clears throat> chief ingredient in a marriage because it will really facilitate submission one to another because we have differences of opinion, differences of understanding, differences of viewpoints. And um, he made a quote, I haven't verified it, but he says that C.S. Lewis once said uh, that, he, you know, humility is not thinking less of self but thinking of oneself less. Not always thinking about yourself, if that means anything. And I, I, I get it, you know, when we sing from the gospel hymns, oh, to be nothing, nothing, only to lie at his feet. I understand what the author's trying to say is, but in God's eyes, we are valuable, we are something. We are made in his image. But being made in his image, and then this image, if you will, falling through the fall of Adam and Eve, we become something different. <clears throat> and we've been corrupted, if you will. We have the, the sin of Adam, the, the death that reigned from Adam to Moses, as Romans 5 talks about. And thinking of each a thinking of ourselves is really being magnified from what Christ or God intended for us to think. Because if you remember, the day that Adam and Eve fell was the day they actually violated the very one command that God gave them. Only one, and they couldn't keep that. And that was not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and, and evil, but they had to. 
because they rationalize within themselves. And, and this, is a, this is a mystery that I guess we, we don't understand as humans. Out of someone that was so pure and pristine, where does this ability to sin come from? And I can only think of the other parallel, which was um, why Satan fell. Why did he sin when he was pure? There was no sin until this occurred. But what the Bible does say for both is when Satan began to think within himself, look how beautiful I am, look how great I am, look how powerful I am. Then the thought came likely into his mind, why can't I be? Why does God have to be the most powerful? Why can't I be the most powerful? And that's what Adam and Eve began to think too. They began to rationalize in their own mind. You know, why is God holding this back from us? Why does he get the best? Why can't we have this so that we can have our eyes opened so we can know the difference between good and evil? That's the best I can make of it in a very short few uh, sentences. But what we see here in, Ro in, in, uh, in Romans, it's a Freudian slip, but in, in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, it's, it goes back to the garden again. Where John was in the first chapter talking about sin and how we are sinners and how even Christians sin. But there is a way out. There's a way that we can be forgiven for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have an advocate in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If any man does sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, actually the word is used there. The same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. We have this, this one that go between between God and man. Jesus Christ the righteous, the high priest, and... Our sins can be forgiven on the basis of his shed blood as he intercedes for us. But then he goes, just to skip the, the few verses in between, and he starts with, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's got to be a, a verse that just stops us in our tracks. It should just bring us to a screeching halt in our lives. If the word says that if you love the world, then the love of God is not in you. And then we've got to think about that, what that means. When the Bible uses certain terms, perhaps we can call them technical terms, you don't just take it at face value that the world means here that as we would understand it, this globe in which we live. Just like when the Bible uses the term flesh, as humans would understand it, they think that it means this, flesh and blood, that which you can touch. When you cut, you bleed. The disease of the flesh, heart attacks, strokes, cancer. 
In the Bible, these are technical terms which are mostly used not of the physical, but of the spiritual elements of our lives. And the way I learned a long time ago, um, someone, I forget what his name was actually, talked about the world, talked about in these tape series, some of you may remember who I'm talking about, and he says the the world is the system that opposes God, as the scripture talks about. The world in this verse is the system that opposes God. It's anti-God. The word flesh, as you read it in Romans especially, it doesn't mean flesh and blood like we're talking about in the terms of a physical, tangible thing. What it means is human nature. The old human nature, the old man. Because you can read through 5, 6 and 7 of Romans and you'll see that's exactly what he's talking about. This old man that has to die. The solution for the old man is execution. He must be executed. He must be put to death. And he's put to death as Christ was put to death. And he's buried as Christ was buried. And he's raised as Christ was raised unto a, as a new creature. Because the old man is still on the cross. It's been crucified. So when the Bible talks about flesh, for the most part, in the New Testament at least, it talks about the human nature, the old Adamic nature, that we are bent on sin. We are disposed to sin. And when the word is used here, in, in most cases, it's used as the system that opposes God. Why? You know, I was just thinking about that just now as we were uh, coming up to the pulpit and, and sitting here. I was thinking of what does it mean when Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, it says that the God of this world has blinded their eyes, that they cannot see. So, is Satan really the ruler of this world in the sense that the world belongs to him? But I thought it was God's world. It is God's world. He created the world, the scripture says, I think, in Hebrews chapter 1. By whom he created the world through Christ. But the God that is in this world, Satan, has in fact become a God to them. To the world, because they follow him. They follow him. They follow. The world follows the evil one. He's the prince of the power of darkness. So there's this royal battle going on in, in this vast spiritual superspace, hyperspace, that there is this constant battle between good and evil. Between God, the God's people, and, and the, 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 the followers of, of the evil one. Our, our, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that, that our warfare is not carnal. It's not flesh. It's not against, you know, country against country. 
It's a spiritual warfare that is basically the battlefield is in our minds. Where the mind is the, is the beachhead for all activity. Enemy coming in and us trying to fend him off. So when God says through the Holy Spirit, through the, the Apostle John, love not the world. He's saying love not the things that are in this world, the, the system of this world. Because this world is following their God the devil. So he says, love not the world, the system, nor the things that are in this world. The things that this, this world has to offer. Because they are opposing God. Because if any man does, you don't love the Father. You don't have the Father's love in you. I don't if I do that. And then he goes into the second verse of the three that we've read, verse 16. For all that is in the world, in this system that opposes God, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, doesn't come from the Father but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Basically, the three things that went through the minds of Adam and Eve when they were contemplating that fruit on the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The devil hasn't changed his tactics. He knows what we are susceptible to. He did it on Adam and Eve. He knows that we are temptable. When I thought about these things, I thought about what are the greatest sins that a man can commit? And we all often think, you know, robbery, murder, fornication, adultery, lying, of course. But they stem from inner attitudes, an inner state of the heart. Because James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus says, what comes out on the outside is really begun on the inside. That which enters in the mouth of a man doesn't defile a man. But what proceeds out of the heart defiles a man. Your mind has got to tell your arm and your body to do things. And it's the, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. That's the, that's the key conclusion that Jeremiah came to in, in, in chapter 17. He said that the heart of man is... Is, is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. The heart of the man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now you can see in some way the heart is where 
the, the inner man, if you will. It's not this physical pump that pumps our blood around. But the inner man, this mind, our soul, everything that comprises the internals of the man is desperately wicked. We're always thinking. We're always uh, uh, postulating. We're always planning. We're always looking for ways that will be better for myself. And in doing so, we then command our body to do the things that we should not do. It's called the will. We have a will that says, I will do this and I will do that. That's what Satan said. It is believed that Lucifer is the one alluded to in, in Isaiah 14. Where he says, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. I will do this. I, five times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And God says, you won't. You will try. But in the end, you're going to lose. And we have this will in ourselves and it's driven by the internals. And what are they? So when I thought about this, what, are this, what, what, what has the church historically thought, at least through, if you read some of the early church fathers and, and after that, what are the, the, the mortal sins? They call them the seven deadly sins. They are in the heart. They are attitudes that lead us to do the, the things that are sinful. And if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5, it talks all about the things, what they call the lust, what the apostle calls the, the, the lust or the works of the flesh. Murders, adulteries, fornications, covetousness, lying, reveling, uh, slanders, you name it. All these things are the works, are basically the fruit of the fleshly heart, of the fleshly mind. They're just manifestations of what's really in the inside. And God will judge us for that, make no mistake. God will judge us by our works. It's clear, objective evidence of what's inside the heart. We are saved by grace, through faith, the Bible says. And but that salvation is salvation into the body of Christ. We have been saved from dead works. We have been saved from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin, as Romans 8 says. But we are now servants of Christ. But we will be judged by our works. It's very objective. And he says, if any man love the, the world, he's not, does not have the love of the Father in him, because in the world there is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I want to start with the first one, the pride of life. This is, I believe, and, and uh, many believe that this is the father of all sin. The pride of life, or the pride itself, is the beginning of all sin. Why? Because that, that's where it started with Satan, and that's where it started with Adam and Eve. Pride is the motivator for doing the things that 
are manifested in our works. In the Latin, if you study the seven deadly sins, they, they, they give you the term superbia. That's what pride is in Latin. Superbia. What, is, what does it mean to be superb? Better than everybody else. And C.S. Lewis said that pride is, a, is, is such a sin that it's not satisfied with just having what you want. It's not just, you're not satisfied with having wealth, but having more wealth than somebody else. It's not that you're satisfied with having a wife, but you want somebody else's wife. You want to show that you are the conqueror. You want to show that you're a better man than somebody else. It's sort of this conquest that, that this world has. I mean, this, these are sort of extremes. Maybe not. But pride is a comparative sin. You need to be better. Adam and Eve had everything perfect. They had enough food. They had the animals. They had the trees, the garden, the fish. Everything was theirs under their domination, if you will. It wasn't enough. Proverbs, I believe, says that he that has silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that has gold shall not be satisfied with gold. It has to be more. And this world is very, very competitive. The billionaires, they may have 100 billion or 200 billion, but they want to be better than the last one because they want to be the the number one, top dog. That's all a lot of false ambition. You know, every now and then I get something that comes up on my feeds and I went on to the um, website and I recognized somebody that I went to school with, that I played football against and I looked him up and I said hey honey look at this this young man I played with him and against him or against him and he ended up playing the major leagues and he became a well-known household name in football and now he's the principal of this St. Paul's College and then I realized hey he, he believes in God he even mentioned about the loving God that gave us the, whatever he He's given to us. And I thought, well, there's one person that I know that I went to school with that actually felt there was something more important in this life than climbing up the ladder of celebrityism, than, than becoming famous and rich. And, and, and at least he saw that, that there's something more of value than what this world has to offer. Many kept going and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows I can go back through some of my friends from school and see where they ended up what happened to them because pride is a competitive sin it's a comparative sin you want more than what the other person has 
I remember uh, being on the GO train, traveling in from Milton to Toronto and back, and I remember one of the secretaries, she's traveled with us, friend said, hey, Sandy, we just bought a house. You know, I'm going to get a job, and my wife's, my husband's working, and uh, we're going we're gonna to make it happen. And this house is going to blow that house, person's house out of the water. I heard them say that. I said, wow, that's your aspiration in life, to blow other people's houses out of the water. What's the meaning of life? What do you have in the end? Is that it? This is this pride of life. The pride that you haven't achieved anything until you have made it. And I just began to read in, in, in terms of what this world thinks about um, people that are proud and people that are humble. And I'm not amazed, because I've seen it in my own workplace, where they say, proud, humble leaders are the leaders that get more out of their people than proud leaders. Usually you look for visionaries, for motivators, for charismatic leaders. Forbes magazine says it doesn't cut it. The humble leaders are the ones that can motivate their team that care more about the company than themselves and that can communicate with their team far more and better and get them, motivate them to work for them because they see this man cares about the company. I, I remember this one project manager came from the States. He was in Zimbabwe, lived, grew up as a child. His father was in the forces. And he went to the States and he became a project manager in uh, Bruce Power. And he, he says, there's three things I want from you guys. Honesty, humility, and hard work. That's what's going to make this project succeed. He put humility in there with all these high-level engineers and managers and because humility is the lubricant that can make things happen. Pride is what pushes people away, in effect. Nobody wants to deal with a proud person. I speak for myself. Because when a person is proud and he sees someone that is competing with him, he begins to dislike that person. He's getting the, all the attention how does that work in the church does that happen in the church we should not be ignorant brethren it can happen in the church too where pride can prop up its ugly head in our lives I speak for myself when I think I'm not being noticed enough perhaps or when I think that I'm looking for compliments. Sister Vicky's not here this, this morning. She's still in Windsor. But I remember her, she once said, 20 years ago what it was. She says, Doug, are you fishing for a compliment? I never heard that term. But that seems to be what happens when people are looking for praise, looking for recognition, looking for importance. 
Does it happen in the church? That we're fishing for compliments. That we're looking for someone to pat us on the back. I love the term uh, in uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the, the chief apostle, if you will. Peter, James and John were the, the, the inner circle with Jesus Christ. This is Peter saying, Elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, not being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. A leader leads by example. He doesn't push people. He says, I'm going this way, follow me. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. Likewise, this is the verse that got me. Likewise, ye younger, ye submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and clothed with humility. Clothed with humility. What does it mean to be clothed with humility? It means that your body is covered with humility. In other words, you protect your whole body from anything that will come and try to taint you, that will soil you, that will dirty you. If you look at this word in the Greek, it says you put on this apron of servitude. It's an apron of servitude. Strong's Concordance. Because this is what servants used to put on when they got into doing dirty work. They put this on them to be protected. Humility is a protection against anything that could infiltrate our minds that Satan uses as bait to destabilize us, to corrupt us, to pervert us, to stain us. J.B. Phillips, I looked up his, uh, his uh, New Testament translation. It's not in the sword, but you can download it on the, as a PDF. He says, put on the overall of humility. Overalls are, what are they? They're protectors. Mechanics use overalls. Painters use overalls. Nuclear station and fossil station workers use overalls to prevent contamination and dirt and dust and grease and you name it from staining us. Peter says, put on the overalls. It's a protection. It keeps us stable. It keeps us with a sober mind. You know, humility, uh, the reason I'm talking about humility because it's the opposite of pride. C.S. Lewis says this pride is the most anti-God. Sin that we can have. 
because it lifts itself up and exalts itself up above all that is called God. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now we, we don't pray, God, make me humble. Or, or should I say, God, give me humility. God doesn't give you humility. God can bring about things to humble us, but he doesn't give us humility like he gives us certain gifts. He gives us grace when we humble ourselves. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8, many of you know this and Christ quoted it. Verse 1, all the commandments which I commanded thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go into and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. God promised this. He's going to give it to you. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldst keep his commandments or not. Submitting to the obedience of God or obeying God and submitting to the commands of God requires humility. And God can facilitate that by bringing events in our, in our lives that will make us come to that conclusion that we are nothing without him. We cannot do anything without him. That's what the prodigal son had to come to. When God promised him, if you disobey me, you will not break the law. The law will break you. And he came to his, himself. He realized, that's another definition, I believe, of being humble, is, is being real. Is acknowledging, accepting the truth about yourself. It's not something that you exaggerate or amplify or, or try to promote oneself with. I'm good because, you, and many people do that with resumes. I see, I've seen many resumes in my position and I've looked at them and I see they got some pretty swelling pats on their back for themselves here. They may have used this computer uh, system or program, whatever, once, but all of a sudden they're experts. And when you ask them questions about that, they're not quite sure, but they sort of become acquainted with it. You can really puff yourself up. That's not being real. That's not being humble. And sooner or later it's going to find you out. When we try to put on a facade or an or a outlook to others, which is not really us. Being humble is being real about yourself.
God gives grace to the humble. Then he says in verse 6 of 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. When we humble ourselves to this world, it may seem weak, it may seem powerless, but in due time, you'll be noticed. And how we love, we, we, sh- we, we have to acknowledge this. When we see a humble person, we have a closer attraction to that person. Maybe because there's no competition. Is that why? Or because we really know that's what we need to be. And these are the things that we admire of him. And I wish I could be more like that. Well, you can. And I can. Because humbling ourselves is really about evaluating and assessing ourselves and then taking action to correct that. Not necessarily by our own strength, but asking God to help me in this area. To repent of this. If Paul says, as the, the, the great apostle that everyone looks up to, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, he says, I protest by your rejoicing in Christ. I die daily. I die daily. He dies to self. Through the spirit, he mortifies the deeds of the flesh because he knows that every day there's things that are popping up in him that are wanting to lift him up. And he, thank God, he boasted in the fact that he has this thorn in the flesh lest he be lifted up. Against measure, overly overly lifted up because of what God, what he saw in heaven, what he saw in the third heaven. He was thankful that God gave him this, he called it the messenger of Satan, the thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Remember. Remember who you are, Paul. Pride in our lives can be very destructive. Proverbs tells us that pride comes before destruction. When we lift ourselves up, it will be destructive for us. And a haughty spirit, a high spirit, before the fall. The more we lift ourselves up, the more potential we have to fall a long way and the devil knows that because he tried to tempt Christ with that in Matthew chapter 4 he tried to tempt him take your life into your own hands while you're waiting for the father make these stones bread you're hungry your father doesn't care for you or jump off the pinnacle of the temple if you're so the son of God, why don't you just jump off? God's going to catch you if he's your God, if he's that powerful. And the last one, he finally took off his mask and 
said, yeah, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing. I really want your worship. If you worship me, fall down and worship me because I'm the God of this world, I'll give you all these kingdoms. What did Jesus himself say in the book of Revelation? Which is what they're going to, I believe, sing in a, next week. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Because Jesus knew that. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that he humbled himself even subjected himself to death. And then God highly exalted him. That every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. That Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see. When we humble ourselves. We've got to go down before we go up. Jesus said in Matthew 23, Whosoever humbles himself shall be exalted, and whoso exalts himself shall be abased. He said of Capernaum, and Capernaum, you who have lifted yourselves to the heavens shall be cast down to hell. It's the opposite that this world tells us. The opposite of this world's advertising campaign, propaganda. You become somebody. You take your life into your own hands. You become independent. You do your own choosing. Instead of humbling in ourselves and saying, God, what would you want me to do? Because he knows best. And he says, and the world passes away. And the lust, even the lust will one day pass away. Before you die even. There will be things when you get older you don't have as much of a craving for. That's what this really means, the, the lust. It's a craving, this physical, fleshly craving. It's going to pass away. You lose appetite. You won't, you, as long as you live, you'll be, you'll be um, sinful and be craving for things. But as you get older, certain things no longer have that draw to you. Don't get me wrong. I've had older people come to me confessing the thoughts that go through their mind. He doesn't leave a human as long as he's human, as long as he's alive. But one day, all lust is going to pass away because the world is going to be shaken, it's going to be destroyed, and there'll be no more devil, no more sin, no more lust. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever it takes faith to believe the word of God it but 
you can, you can test that faith. You can test the word, should I say, by looking around you, by seeing what this world goes through, by seeing the end of their state. When they go up that path, that very unstable path, when they want to go higher and higher and higher, and they want to be the God of their own life, and they destroy themselves. I pray that every one of us, believers and unbelievers, will see the devastating effects of pride. And how we need to seek God's help to kill that pride within us. And if he sends us trials and calamities, know that it's for a reason. To humble us. And to see if we're still willing to follow him and love him because he loved us first. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. You may say, I don't really love the world. That stuff out there doesn't really interest me. Do you love the compliments that lift you up? Do you love the, the things that make your life that much more comfortable and easy for you? Do you love the, the, the times where you can do what you want? You still love the world. The love of yourself is still what's driving you. And then all of this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is still the prime motivator, still the prime mover. And you're part of a system where everyone thinks they'll get a cut, they'll get their piece of it. And in the end, they'll have what they want. And it is passing away. It's going, and as the brother preached, it's empty. All that pride leads nowhere, and, and we see that out in the world. And we experience that when we're focused on ourselves. But as we were also reminded this morning, humility, humility is the, the antidote. And I see also here, going hand in hand with that, because the one cannot be without the other, is love, the true love of God. That's why they're opposed to each other. The love of the world, the love of, of what makes me comfortable, of me getting my peace in the part that I like, and the love of God, that all-consuming being lost in him, and not anymore thinking about ourselves and what we're going to get, but about him, how glorious he is, what his purposes are, what he is going to accomplish here. That is the antidote, and that only springs from a ground of humility, where we realize who we are. You know, that battle even happens right across the pulpit here. Where I struggle within myself and think of what I should say and if what I say, will it reflect well on me and will you think better of me and, and will, uh, 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 will you think I'm more this or that way? And I think that is of the world. That is the love of the world. That Satan is still tempting me. I still have a choice. Whether I first am going to humble myself and realize I am just a mouth please, a messenger for the God Almighty, and whether I love you enough that the truth needs to be spoken, needs to be spoken effectively, and we need to 
fade into the background and be lost in God. May the Lord convict each one of us where the love of the world, the, the world system is creeping in, where it's manifesting and, and, and giving its ugly fruit, and where that beautiful fruit of humility as we sang in the hymn and as, as the brother preached in the, the practical overalls, the, the, the covering of humility needs to be pulled a little tighter around us and cover. May the Lord bless his word, encourage us this week. With that, we conclude this morning's service.